This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, hey, everybody. How you doing? It's so good to have you with us today. We are in a series called That's Fire, where for four weeks I've invited guest speakers from all over the country who are friends of mine to come and to really bring a message for this house. And I believe today that you have the opportunity to receive one of those. Today, as we wrap up, that's fire. It is my pleasure to kind of bring to you a gift. And this is one of our overseers. If you don't know this, I have a board of five pastors from around the country that help oversee the ministry of our church by advising me, okay? And he is one of those. Eric Parton serves as the lead pastor of Shoreline Church in Destin, Florida. Planted 18 years ago, he, he is a remarkable leader. I mean, when Shoreline, if you go visit Shoreline, you're going to walk away going, this church is innovative. They try things. They don't just do ministry in their church. Crab Island is a big place where people gather around Destin. And they flip Crab Island on Saturday morning into a church. They tow a billboard, a lighted up billboard. They broadcast church there on Crab Island. They've taken an Irish pub and they flip that, that pub into a church during the week. I mean, they do a lot of things to reach outside the walls of their church. And one of the ways that they've done that is actually reaching me and my family. Eric and Darlene, I would say this without equivocation, outside of my immediate family, my mom, my dad, and my sister, there are no people in our lives who have had as significant of an influence for my family in the last two or three years. They love us so well. They encourage us so well. They're, they're the first people I call when something's happened and I don't know what to do. I mean, I can remember literally not too long ago, there was a morning and I'm gonna be honest with you, my heart was obliterated. Something had happened with somebody. I felt betrayed. I felt hurt. And I called Eric and just said, hey, here's what happened. And he said, Kevin, can I pray for you? And you know there's some people who have prayed for you out of obligation. Right? I'm supposed to pray for you. It wasn't that at all. I mean, he called down the fire of heaven in that moment. And I can remember just sitting in that room. It was really, I was in my car and just him speaking over me and prophetically he actually made my heart aware of some things that would happen later on and it kept me from some bitterness and hurt we need people in our lives like that he's been that not just for me and my family but for our church many of you have walked out of here encouraged or loved but there's a lot of times the genesis behind that has been his pastoring his mentoring his fathering so I want you to welcome today one of my favorite people on the planet, one of our overseers, my friend, Eric Parton. 
That was so good. I forgot you were talking about me. I tell you, I hate those kind of introductions. No, good job, but I hate them. I actually told him, no, here's how I want you to introduce me. Say that our guest speaker couldn't show up today, so we got the guy from the concession stand. And then the bar so low that I don't, I feel like, and let, let me just tell you, being his overseer, they don't pay me enough for that. I get a call from the Miami International Airport last year. Oh, my gosh. So anyway, hey, before we get into, I'm going to introduce you to my family and stuff, or my wife and stuff. But first, uh, I just want to go. We're going to go into a passage of scripture, and I would like us to stand and give honor to God uh, by reading the, the word, this passage of scripture that we're going to be in today, and then I'll have you sit down. So uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 9, and here's how it leads off verse 2. It says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. His, church, his clothes became dazzling white whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? Does he ever talk to you that way? Very sarcastic. How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind comes out only by prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that it is a picture and it is a mirror. It is a picture of who you are and what is possible, but it's also a mirror of who we are and what we can become. So we thank you for your word speaking to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So let me just tell you, we love being here. We're honored to be here. I love actually coming here. I don't really like to travel and speak, but I love coming here because you guys are like family to me. People, I speak here every year. Your pastors, let me tell you something about your pastors. They make me feel, not just from that introduction, those introductions, but they just make us feel honored and loved every time we come here. If you're a guest here, if you're first time and you're looking for a church, I'm gonna tell you, you will feel loved at this church. And listen, God doesn't care how much you know. He cares how well you love. And this church loves well. And thank you for treating us. Their kids, 
are hilarious. I love their kids. Um, we went to dinner the other night. What was it, Friday night? And I just took my phone. Y'all know his, little, his youngest son, Cade? That guy says, on my story, I've got stories. Of, I didn't even prompt him. I just filmed him and just got the best stuff and put it on my Instagram story because it's hilarious. And I had, because my daughter-in-law accuses me of riling up our grandkids. And so therefore I'm never allowed to be around him. But uh, I'm like, no, I'm not riling him up. He just comes up with this stuff naturally. You guys could have a show. And all of uh, all your kids, man, they're so amazing. And they and your wife, Amanda, is such a loving person. And we just feel loved here. And the best thing I like about them is that they know how to laugh, and we have a lot of fun. So last time I spoke here was November of last year. I believe you were in a financial series. I talked about finances. Good news. I'm not talking about finances. Now, there was some stuff that I was going through last year at this time that I didn't get a chance to talk about, but I am going to talk about it. As Kevin said, we're 18 years old as a church. We started in 2005, and I'm actually in the process of, of what would you say, um, turning the, passing the baton. We're in the process of raising up our next generation of leaders in the church, pastors and people in the church that are leaders, kind of like Maddie's age. We're in the process. I actually have my successor that one day is going to run the church after I'm gone. I don't plan to retire. I don't think retirement is biblical. I think you just take more time to fish than work. That's about it, right? Um, <laughs> but so we are in that process. And actually, his name is Graham, great communicator. Everybody loves him. He's back speaking at home right now. And um, what, what, what was kind of crazy, though, is I, I kind of thought how this was going to look. He showed up in 2019, and that's when everything changed. Because I thought when he showed up, we would have this transition period, and I was just going to start doing less and less and less. I was going to coast. Anybody feel like coasting sometimes? I, I, I've been in ministry for 36 years. So I've done a lot of things. I've done capital campaigns. I hate capital campaign. You know what a capital campaign is? A capital campaign is when you have to raise money for a building. Anybody do that? You have to raise money. You know, if you come here to church, and one of the reasons why you don't like church is because church just seems like it just wants money, you know, wants your money. It's a difficult part of being a pastor because God has called Kevin, myself, my wife. We're called to pastor, not be fundraisers, but yet it comes with the job. And I was like, I'm not doing another capital campaign. Graham can do that. You know, so I thought I was just going to coast. In fact, I told my staff, I said, this is what's happening. I said, I'm not going to. I said, you don't. You, when you're moving out of your third floor apartment, you don't ask grandpa to help you. Right. You get so your friends to help you. I ain't doing any more heavy lifting, right? I said, Graham could start to do that heavy lifting. But God had other things for me. I mean, no, that that's, he always has other things for us, right? We, we kind of plan our ways in our mind, but he's the one that directs our steps. So last year when I spoke here, I actually wasn't even, I was the children's pastor in our church. I had actually stepped down out of leading and speaking on Sunday mornings for six months. And I started, I was in the children's ministry which was kind of full circle because that's where I started. I started in children's ministry back in 1988 or something like that, 1987. Started in children's ministry back then. And what's crazy is that when I spent that six months last year in children's ministry, I actually found a new passion. I felt like I was starting to want to coast because I'd lost interest in pastoring. And God gave me a different passion. And it's crazy how that happened. In fact, I feel like a TikTok video, you know. You're probably wondering how I got here. Or, yep, that's me, you know. That's right. Here I am, children's pastor. It actually started uh, last year. I was on a six-day, uh, six 
solo camping trip in the wilderness of Wyoming. I love to camp by myself. I've camped in the Everglades by myself and places in North Alabama. But last year, I went uh, six days by myself into the wilderness of Wyoming. And I say the wilderness, I have a high clearance Jeep. And so what I did was I spent six days just driving trails, staying off-road the whole time. And because out west, it's all public land, you can camp anywhere. And I just looked for a campsite. And then I spent six days camping. Now, a lot of people ask, they go, aren't you nervous? Aren't you scared when you're camping by yourself? And I'm not going to lie. First couple days, you feel a little uneasy because nature is loud, especially at night. <laughs> you know, There's noises out there, right? And I'm not so scared of animals as I am of people that are out there, right? And so uh, the first couple of days, I was a little nervous. In fact, I didn't even have a fire the first two nights because I was uh, just, just sitting out under the stars. And that's the amazing thing about Wyoming. There's no noise, there's no light pollution. So you just see the stars forever. And so I would just spend the whole six days, I kind of had a, for, a formula. I would drive on trails and go fishing. And then at night, I would find a different, I would break down campsite every morning and at, before it got dark, find me a different campsite. And the whole time I'm out there, I would just kind of talk to the Lord. And maybe, I don't mean to be super spiritual, but I would just have a conversation. And I, sometimes I've, it was me answering back. Sometimes, you know, when you're by yourself, you know, I took a, I took a tennis ball, and a, not a tennis ball, a volleyball, and I painted a face on it, and I had it sit in the car next to me. I called him Wilson, but it was really God. No, no I, I would just talk, and I would answer my own questions, and sometimes I call it downloads. You get a download that's a thought that sounds like you talking, but it's really the Lord giving you inspiration or an idea, and I just did this for like six days, right? And so every day I would do that, break down, drive, then set up camp. Uh, I usually would have dinner, everything done by the, by the time it was dark so I could just sit by the fire and just talk and just talk. No, no music, just sit there. Anyway, um, and I just get ideas about different things. But on the fourth day, the fourth night, I was sitting by the fire. And again, beautiful. I've got a campsite where my tent's behind me, fire right here, and there's a river right here. Nobody around and these mountains here. And you, if you've been out west, the sunsets, they last forever. They're just red skies and you could see the stars coming out. And I just began to sob. And I'm not talking like cry. I'm talking like ugly girl cry. Not ugly girl cry, but an ugly girl cry. You know what I'm saying? Snot's coming out. Mascara's running. I'm just sobbing. Uh, yep, that's me. You're probably wondering how I got here. No. And you're thinking, well, why? Well, because for the last five years, remember I said it started in 2019? That's when Graham joined us. But that's also when we had to sell our house. We sold our house that we lived in that was on the water that my kids grew up, middle school, high school there. Beautiful home, and we had to sell it for different reasons. And I don't know if you caught that. It was at the end of 2019. I don't know if you know what happened to real estate in 2020. Because I thought when COVID started, I'm like, whew, good thing I sold my house because the economy's going to crash. What? And I lost all this money. And that was just the beginning. For the next three years, we moved five different times. In, and, and to six different locations. And finally, in the second to the last place, we ended up in a camper in the parking lot of the, in a, in a van down by the river. No, we lived in a camper in the parking lot of the church for, six, for five months. I felt like, in fact, I was filling out an application for something and that said occupation. I wrote church security guard because that's what I felt like. And I was so upset. I was so upset at God because 
I'd built equity over 30 years of owning homes and I lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. All we had was $20,000 to our name and real estate was going up. We were trying to make offers on houses and we couldn't get a house. Nothing, we, nothing would get accepted. And here I am in the church parking lot. And you know, people mean so well. They'd say, you know, because I'm from the South as well. And what do they, they always start with, well, bless your heart, right? You know what bless your heart means. You want to punch them right away. Bless your heart. You know, God has probably something better for you. I'm like, you know, I used to live on the water. I have no money left. And I'm living in a parking lot. Bless your heart, you know. That's how I felt. And I was so upset at the Lord. And, and, and uh, uh, there was part of me that goes, you know, I would be so mad. God, I don't understand. I'd wake up in the morning. I don't understand, Lord. I did this for you. I, I, and then the other part of me would go, but God, I'm trusting you. So I kind of had two sides going on with me. But then um, my father, who I didn't, I only lived with 10 years. I, I, he left when I was six. And then when I was in high school, my mom sent me to live with him because she couldn't control me. You know, so I only lived 10 years with him in my whole life. And I really didn't have a relationship with him. I wasn't, I mean, I had a relationship, but it wasn't that good. Like my kids didn't call him grandpa. They called him your dad. Are you going to see your dad or your dad's on the phone, you know? So I didn't really have a relationship. Well, his, this was last year, his, uh, his, his wife died. She wasn't my stepmom, um, 17 years younger than him. She died, and he had no place to go. So, and this is during, this is after COVID. So we couldn't get hospice. The nursing homes are full. I mean, you know, they can't find people to work. It's during that whole period of time. So we decided that we would take care of him because it was the right thing to do. I didn't want to, but what else are we going to do? So in this process, he says, why don't we sell my home in Pensacola? It's paid for. We can use that money. It's paid for. We can use the money to buy a down payment, put it on a house that we can afford that can be big enough to take care of us. And we found a house. And guess where it was? On the water. Beautiful home, you know, that we love. And I thought I would never get back there. So here I am. <laughs> sitting by this fire out in God's creation and I just began to weep because I didn't deserve it I felt so ungrateful if I was word of faith I shouldn't have had it because I didn't confess it in you know and some of you word of faith people might get that um, I didn't I shouldn't have this shouldn't I, I just felt like you know what I felt like I felt like when you're, you're taking your kid to surprise him with a new bike and he throws a fit in the parking lot and you're like well forget that get in the car I'm not buying you a bike that's what I felt like, but God didn't do that to me. I felt like actually a restoration. I felt like Peter. Remember when Peter denied Jesus three times, and then he, just, then he chucks it all and goes fishing? Jesus rises from the dead. He calls him in from the beach, and they have a fire, and they have breakfast. And, Jesus, and Peter, he asked Peter three times, do you love me? He says, you know I do. Feed my sheep. That's what I felt like was happening on this fourth night of this camping trip, that God was going, it's over you're good. I was like, God, but I was a jerk. He's like, no, you were worse than that, but it's okay, right? And so there I was by the fire, but then something amazing happened. On the last night, I was camping super remote. I say it took me a long time to get there, and it was in the Shirley Mountains, and I was there, and I'd done everything. I'd set up, had dinner, cleaned the dishes. I was just sitting by the fire, and I heard some voices. So I got up, because I carry a weapon, and I got up, and I walked around. I was like, how could this happen? Be someone be out here? And I didn't see or hear them because I'm so remote and there's no, nobody there. So I, I, I went back to the fire and it happened again. 
So this time I went over into a strand of aspen trees and got in the shadows and just watched for 20 minutes my campsite to see if someone would show up. And I went back. I didn't see anybody. So I went back. I sat by the fire and it happened another time. And then I realized what was going on. I'm not trying to freak you out, but here's what six days of me being by myself and just having these conversations with the Lord and just talking and just the way I'd talk to you and I'd say something stupid or ask a question. I even tell God he likes my jokes and so I'd do that. You know, it's, you know I have a feeling when I get to heaven I'm going to be doing stand-up up there. I'm just saying. And, he, and I just felt like that what was happening was that the thoughts that I was hearing in my head because I'd spent six days by myself felt they were so loud it sounded like they were outside my head. In other words, if you would have been there you wouldn't have heard anything. But I heard things. And when I tell this story, everyone goes, well, what did he say? I said, he, he's going to flood the earth and he wants me to build an ark. <laughs> that's not what he said, but that's what I tell people. All right. So build an ark. Now, <laughs> what had happened, we had just lost our next gen pastor. I would be, be someone equivalent to Maddie here. And she was, her heart was in youth ministry and she oversaw our children's ministry. But I didn't know this because I wasn't sticking my nose into where it should be. Because remember, I'm coasting. The children's ministry, when I, after she left, I went in there and it was just not, they had no vision, no leadership. It was not good. They had some really quality people in there, some young people in their 30s with young families. They just didn't have any leadership. And it'd been kind of in my heart, maybe I should go back into children's ministry, which is a wild thought. I've been a past senior pastor for 18 years. Senior pastors don't go back into children's ministry. And while I was there in the campground, while I was camping, I felt like that's what God was saying. I want you to go back into children's ministry. So I went back, and I announced to the church, for the next six months, I will not be speaking up here. Graham's going to be speaking, and I'm going to move into children's ministry. And it's crazy because we know that young people today are leaving the church in droves. And some of them aren't even leaving. They're just not coming. And uh, it's through no fault of their own. There's a book here that I want to show you. It's called by David Kinnaman, and it's called uh, Faith for Exiles. And it's, the tagline is, Five Ways for a New Generation to Follow Jesus in a Digital Babylon. And um, uh, David Kinnaman, and he, he likens young people who are growing up in the church. In fact, if you're a parent here and you've got a teenager or a preteen, and they've got a phone and they're on screens, I would encourage you to get this book. Because what he does is he likens this generation of Christian young people as exiles in a digital Babylon. And what he means by that, anybody remember the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And the story of Daniel. They were captives, Jewish captives, young people, and they were living in Babylon, and they were trying to retain their Jewish identity. In fact, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego aren't even their real names. That's their Babylonian names. So they're actually trying to change their identity. And so what he says is that this same generation is that's what's happening with this generation, is that they are living in a digital Babylon, and they're being discipled by screens, and it is affecting them like no other generation before them. In fact, he says, David says that we are on the front end of an ongoing social experiment 
that we do not know how it's going to end, and yet the Generation Z and our millennials are the guinea pigs. They're the one who's going to suffer for it. And because of that, we see a lot of health issues. My friend is an emergency room doctor that they've seen a 60% increase in suicide attempts by young people in the last 10 years, gone up 60%. They've seen a 60% increase in young women going to the ER because of self-harm, whether it be cutting, suicide, or whatever it is. And uh, uh, um, I mean... Escape is the choice, uh, the, the drug of choice. They're, we've got a fatherless generation that's being raised by the screens and they're being raised by media and culture who tells them that they can identify and be whoever and whatever they want to be. Meanwhile, that is a twist of God's truth, which is God has a purpose and a special identity for young people, that he created them in his image and he has a purpose and identity for them. And so that's why it's important for us, that to all of us and Christ followers, to heed the call to reach this next generation. Now, so this became our battle cry. Last August, I talked about this. It became our battle cry. February, we went to a conference down in Palm Beach, West Palm Beach, at a church called Christ Church. It's a very big church out down there. And what happens is when we go to a conference, when your pastor goes to a conference, we get to see what God is saying to other pastors and other leaders. And what you find out is that God's saying the same thing. In fact, this was the phrase that we took from them, that this had been their battle cry, and it was this phrase right here. In the race to reach the hearts of the next generation, the ones who get there first win. In the race to reach the hearts of this next generation, the people who get there first win. And we see that today. We see culture trying to reach this next generation earlier and earlier and earlier to win their hearts. I don't know about you, but when I went to high school, we had sex education in high school, not elementary school, because culture is trying to reach the generation, reach their hearts. And the ones who get there first are the ones who are going to win their hearts. So today, what I want to do with the short time we have left is talk about what it means to reach this next generation first. Because it was in my time in the Wyoming wilderness that I felt like God showed me some things on how to do this. And I believe that's why God brought me here to share this with you. Because I believe that it's not just a rally cry for Christ Church down in, or Christ Fellowship down in Palm Beach or Shoreline Church down in Destin. But I believe this is a rally cry for the church of Jesus Christ in the United States for such a time as this. So the passage that we read in Mark chapter 9 is the scripture or the story that he used to show me some things that I'd like to share with you. So we go back to that passage. Peter, James, and John, they go up onto a mountain with Jesus by themselves. And there before their eyes, Jesus is transfigured or transformed, as it says, into dazzling white, whiter than any bleach could get them. And Elijah and, and Moses show up, two dead guys, right? Like Ted, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Two dead guys show up. I, it's kind of like baseball game. Jesus is the pitcher. There's a timeout. These two guys show up and they start talking to Jesus. Now, we don't know what they said to Jesus, but what I find is interesting, two things. Number one, Moses and Elijah were both what you would call mentors or fathering prophets. Moses raised up Joshua when they were in the wilderness to be the leader when they went into the promised land. And Elijah mentored a young man named Elisha. Now, the other thing I find interesting is that just because Moses and Elijah are gone or they're dead, it doesn't mean that their legacy, it's, their, the legacy of what they bring is still important, that Jesus was recognizing and showing that what he's part of is part of this big, long story that God's been telling. And just because someone is gone doesn't mean they aren't part of it anymore. In fact, legacy, if you want to leave a legacy, legacy is understanding the past and recognizing the past, but yet looking forward to the future. 
Now, I love that, Moses, that God, used, God brings Moses and Elijah because if we backtrack back to Moses, when God was telling Moses to go to the people and tell them who he is, look what he says. He's talking about legacy here, and he's talking about generations. He says in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses, t- he says, say to the Israelites, in other words, when you go back to the Israelites, you want to tell them who sent you? The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. He says, this is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. So God introduces himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But not only three different individuals, but three different generations. And what he's saying is, I'm not just the God of individuals. I'm the God of generations, and I am the God of generation to generation to generation. In other words, it shouldn't look like a roller coaster where I'm the God of this generation, but this generation walks away, but this one comes back. It should look like a train going from generation to generation to generation. And if God, my friend, is the, is the, if he is the God of generations, then it's going to take people like you and me who realize that the most precious calling as a Christ follower is to be a spiritual father or a spiritual mother for the next generation. Now, I'm not talking about just your kids. I'm talking about looking to the next generation to see because that is a responsibility that we do not leave to someone else. That is not a responsibility that can lead to our children's pastor or our youth pastor. I'm talking about the responsibility that we all have as Christ followers. So what that means is if you're in here and you're over 20 years old or you're out of high school, we should all be looking at the next generation, looking at someone who's half our age that we can begin to encourage, that we can begin to believe in, that we can begin to pray for, that we can begin to go, God, how can you use me just like you used Elijah and Moses? And I tell you that my prayer is, because I don't know how much longer I have left in ministry. Again, I hope to do ministry all my life. But my, you know what my prayer is? This is what I want. People say, your grandkids hate, or your, my kids hate it when I say, you know, when I die, they're dead. Dad, shut up, right? I'm like, when I die, put me on a sandbar and watch the sunset, and then I'm just going to slip into the water. And they're like, Dad, shut up, you know. But you really, you know what I want to see when I die? I want to see this next generation. I want to see the backs of this next generation going farther than I ever did building better churches than I ever did, reaching more people than we ever did, having an outpouring of God more than we ever did. I want to see this next generation doing more than we ever did. And I'll tell you, that is the mark of success because then when I know that I see that, that's when I know that I'm successful. So let's get back to Peter's story because this is Peter's story. You know, even though we're in the book of Mark, you have to remember that Peter traveled around with Jesus for three years, right? Saw him die, saw him rise from the dead, had breakfast with him for, you know, three days later, a few days later on the beach. And then he spent 30 years traveling around telling his story. And one of his traveling companions was Mark. And so Mark, what Mark did was basically said, you know, here's Peter probably at the end of his life sitting in a prison cell in Rome, Nero's Rome, waiting. He doesn't know which day they're going to call him up and have him executed. And Mark is there with him. And he said, probably said, Peter, look, just one more time. You've told these stories for 30 years, but we need to make sure this is preserved for the next generation. Give it to me one more time. So the book of Mark is actually Peter recounting his story. So I can just imagine them sitting in this prison cell and, and Mark's got his pen and his paper and he's taking notes as fast as he can. And Peter's like, yeah, so then Jesus, he took us up on this high mountain. And up on this high mountain, you know, 
Moses and Elijah showed up and it was and it was crazy because Jesus was transformed he looked like an angel was pure white like you couldn't even bleach his clothes this white and while we were there and they're talking we don't know what they said but there was a, a loud voice from the cloud that said this is my son in whom I'm pleased listen to him and then it was like it was like we woke up I mean we weren't as it was hard like I don't know if we were in a trance or it was a dream but suddenly we look and there's nobody there but Jesus so then we start going back down to the mountain, down the mountain to the town. And when we get to town, there's a big crowd. And in this crowd are the other nine disciples. And they're arguing with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the Jewish law, the conservative, orthodox Jewish leaders. And, there are, and there's a crowd gathered around and they're arguing. And Jesus walks up and says to his disciples, what are you guys arguing about? Who's the greatest? And a man steps up and says, teacher, I brought my son who's possessed and this demon has robbed him of speech see this generation has been robbed of this speech you know that right this generation has been I mean in fact some of you as adults you don't even know not because of slang every generation doesn't you know I hear young people talk I'm like what do they mean because of slang but now we don't even know what to call people you know, I was being waited on in a restaurant, and I don't, I don't want to offend anyone, but I didn't know if that was a guy or a girl. Should I? And I grew up in the South where you say, yes, ma'am, no, sir, right? I don't know what to say. See, this generation is being robbed of what they're even allowed to speak, what they're allowed to say, because it might offend somebody. They're being robbed of their innocence. They're being robbed of their potential. They're being robbed of their value and their childhood. And listen, there is nothing wrong with social media and technology. Social media and technology are powerful, powerful tools. But I'm going to say something. I don't mean to be crass. I'm going to say something about this next generation. I'm talking about Z, general, you know, millennials and Zs and young people. There is nothing more special about this generation than the generations before them. There's nothing more special about them. What is special, though, is the technology and the culture of the time we, which we live in. I mean, it is, we live in an unprecedented time. It is, in fact, because of the, the internet is probably more revolutionary than the printing press. For the first time in history, we have the power to reach every person in the whole world. If you've ever heard of the Bible app for kids, it's, uh, it's been downloaded like a, a million times in, uh, in North Korea. We don't have the potential to do that. I mean, we have the potential now because of the internet. But at what cost? At what cost are we willing to pay to have that kind of... Because remember, this young man, what he re represents is the future. The next generation always represents the future. And so when they bring this young man, it's not just a boy who's possessed with demons. It represents the future, the next generation. Uh, and the next generation has always had a target on its back. You go back to Moses, the one who was on the mountain with him. What happened? Pharaoh tried to kill all of the young boys of Egypt, the baby boys of Egypt. Go back to Jesus' time. Herod committed genocide on all the young boys under two years old around Jerusalem and Bethlehem. This next generation has targets on its back, and they're being robbed of their potential. And the first, the people who reach their hearts first are the ones who are going to win their hearts. But my question is, is the church up to speed? Anyway... The father goes on and says, whenever this demon seizes him, he foams at the mouth, he, he throws himself into a fire, he goes rigid. Uh, and I asked your disciples to drive him out, but they couldn't. And you remember what Jesus said? You unbelieving generation. Now, who is he talking to? 
Is he talking to the boy? He's not talking to the boy. He's talking to the father. He's talking to the disciples. He's talking to the religious leaders that were arguing with the disciples about this next generation, about this boy. He's saying, you're the unbelieving generation, the generation that was, had the responsibility to grow them and believe in them and encourage them. You're the one that has lost belief in them. And I believe he's talking to us. And the question is, are we going to be a believing generation? Are we going to be a generation that believes in this next generation to the point that we are willing to do like Jesus and leave the 99 and go after the one? Are we willing to be a generation that believes, uh, that will surround them with faith and encouragement and belief? Or are we going to be the generation that points out their shortcomings? Are we going to be the generation that points out their perceived lack of work ethics? I know. I hear from my generation. They call them things like snowflakes and entitled. Are we going to do that when, in fact, they are the least fathered generation of all time? And the devil hates it when generations connect. That's why he works so hard to create generational gaps, because he doesn't want them to connect, because he knows the power that's there, and especially in churches. And I think my prayer and our prayer needs to be, God, help us to see them the way you see them. Lord, help us to see this next generation, the potential that you see, the value that they have, the leaders that they're going to become. Lord, let us not see them the way we see them with our natural eyes, but let us see them the way you see them. So Jesus says, bring the boy to me. And this is what I felt like God showed me out there in the wilderness. See, in our culture, everybody's arguing about the next generation, just like the disciples and the Pharisees. We've got opposite sides of culture that are arguing about this next generation and what's right for them and what's the best thing for them and they should be able to choose this and they should be able to choose that. No, this should be raised this way. And, it, and it's, it's, it's divided our culture and we're sitting there, we got arguments between CNN and Fox News and Democrats and Republicans and liberals and conservatives and Christians and non-Christians all arguing about what they believe is right for this next generation. And you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, just bring it to me. Just bring them to me. Don't worry. Don't get into arguments about pronouns and identity and the left and the right. He says, just, just bring them to me. So they bring the boy to Jesus, right? And for, you know what never happens to me when I take my son has been having trouble with his truck and we have to get it towed to the shop. And then when it gets to the shop, they crank it up and then we drive it home and then it won't start. And then we have to tow it back. He bring the boy to Jesus and he... Right away, he works for the, it works for the mechanic. He throws himself into a, a seizure right in front of Jesus. And the boy's father says, if you can do anything, take pity on us. Do you see that? Take pity on us. Not take pity on my boy. Take pity on us. God, I can't take this anymore. It's so frustrating with these kids. I don't understand them. They don't even know what identity they are. That's absurd. You know, I don't even know how to talk to them, God. I just thank God I don't have kids in school. I thank God I don't have to deal with them. God, help us. Take pity on our country and help us. And Jesus is like, if I can, oh, I can. And I'm willing. In fact, I'm willing to leave the 99 and go after the one. And the reason why is because all things, everything is possible for the one who believes. He says, listen, you, we are the unbelieving generation. 
See, if we look, we tend to look at the culture and we tend to look at this next generation, we get frustrated with them. And Jesus says, no, you, you're the unbelieving generation. You forgot to believe in a God that is a God from generation to generation to generation. You forgot to believe in a God that, that sees potential. You forgot to believe in the God. You forgot to believe not only in a God that where everything is possible, you've forgotten to see them the way I see them. And if you could see their potential, if you could see their value, if you could see the leaders that they would become, then you would know that there is nothing that is impossible when you believe, when you believe in me and when you believe in them. So the boy's father answers Jesus the way you and I would when we just got corrected like that. He says, I, I do believe, but so, help me because I have doubts. I do believe, but sometimes I, I believe what Facebook says about them. I believe what social media, I believe what CNN says about them. I believe, and then I forget to believe in them, and I begin to look at them as the problem. And we forget to believe in you, God. We forget to believe that nothing is impossible for those who believe. And we forget to choose to see them the way you see them. And we forget to surround this next generation with belief and faith and encouragement and find out, God, how can I be a part of that? Because remember what, now remember what happens next? They bring the boy to Jesus and uh, the, he casts out the demon. So he's free. Now the boy's free. And as they're walking away, they get somewhere privately because the disciples don't want to ask this publicly. <laughs> they go, how come we couldn't do that? And what does Jesus said, say? He says, this kind only comes out with what? Prayer. See, it's not a physical battle we're in, people. We're in a spiritual battle. And there's no amount of programs or government agendas. There's no amount of those things that are going to work to grab the hearts and grab the attention of this next generation. And then, as if to grab our attention, without programs or agendas, God goes, watch what I can do. And then, boom, suddenly we have a student revival, an outpouring of God in Asbury University up in Kentucky. Students just reading the word and the spirit of God pouring out. Boom, look what I could do. There's been another one happening in Texas A&M where thousands of students have been baptized in the fountain in front of the school offices by other students. God's alone, you've forgotten to believe in a God that where nothing is impossible. And then, as if to show us, at the same time that this is happening in our country, students with students, a movie comes out that maybe you've seen called The Jesus Revolution. Anybody seen that? And what was that movie about? Have you, raise your hands if you saw that movie. That movie was about a generation that was a little bit older than me. It took place in the 60s. I remember, though, my big sister was a hippie. She took me to the Woodstock movie when she was supposed to be babysitting me and snuck me into the drive-in. I had to go in her trunk. I was eight years old, so I saw that. So I remember this generation, right? And what did he do? That was a generation that scared the hell out of the generation in front of them. Because of what? heroin overdoses and the free love and love the one you're with and you know what it was it was a generation that was looking for what authentic love was and all god needed was some spiritual mothers and fathers who were willing to go you know what i'm not going to believe what i see about this generation i'm going to believe that anything is possible with a god who believes that he's a god from generation to generation and all he was looking for and the whole time this generation if you watch the movie they were looking for love and the church had it. And they just needed some spiritual mothers and fathers to show them what real love was. We've got a generation that is looking for identity. 
And we've got a culture that's racing to their hearts and getting there first and telling them they can be anything or anyone they want to be. Meanwhile, the church, you and I, have the truth. And the truth is that God created them specifically with a purpose. He created them uniquely individual in His in his image with a plan and a purpose. And yet what we've done is we've become like the parents in the movies. We've become scared of this next generation. We've looked at them in the prob- as the problem. We've gotten into arguments with culture about what's best for them. And we forgot to believe what Jesus said to us. Just bring them to me. Just do everything within your power and ability to bring them to me. And I'll do the rest. I'll do what only I can do. And then, to prove a point, he adds this later on in chapter 9. In verse 36, he says, He took a little child whom he placed among them. And taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. And that word, welcome, if you look up the definition, go to a concordance or whatever to have the the Greek word, but then there's always a picture definition, and the picture definition means to roll out the red carpet. So Jesus says, whoever will roll out the red carpet for this next generation, they're rolling out the red carpet for me. And whoever rolls out the red carpet for me, they're not just rolling it out for me, but they're rolling it out for God Almighty himself. And so what happens is when we're racing to reach the heart of the next generation, and we make them a priority, what we're doing is we're inviting God into the, next, into the situation. We're inviting God into the equation. And that's why I say this. We will do everything within our ability, our strength, and our, to, to reach this next generation, to bring them to Him, and then we're going to trust that God is going to do what only He can do. See, you don't have to work all that out. All you got to do is bring them to Him. He says, I'll show them their identity. And because why? Because nothing is impossible. And since the year, it's been a year since we've been, in the last year, we have seen so many, God do so many incredible things I don't have time to get into about it, but it's it's amazing. We've seen him do the impossible because what he's looking for is people who are willing to roll out the carpet and bring them to him. And to be clear, I'm not asking you to serve in children's ministry or, or kids' ministry, but why not? If you don't know what to do, why not? You know, it's easier to steer a moving car than it is a parked car. Why not? Why not invite a, a, a college kid who has over to dinner? Why not reach out? Why not tips really well to that Starbucks? Do you have Starbucks here? Yeah, to that Starbucks person with all of their whatever and looking this way. Why not reach out and have a relationship? Why not do those things? Because all God is doing, he's not asking, so all he's looking for is spiritual mothers and fathers who are willing to encourage, believe, and embrace this next generation for him. And when I stepped back into kids' ministry, I didn't go, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't the children's pastor. I did some teaching, but you know what I did? There was already a crew of 25 and 35-year-olds, some with young kids, who decided that this next generation was important to them. And we built leadership, we invited people, we cast vision, and now our children's ministry is blowing up. And I think everyone in this church needs to be spotting someone that they can say, who can I embrace? Who is the next? All the way down from Kevin and Amanda, down to Maddie, down to anyone, even in high school. Who can I begin to reach this next generation? And so that's my, here's, 
here's my application for you. Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to leave here. You're going to get on Facebook. And you're going to see something. Or you're going to see something on the news. And so you're going to switch from channels. And you're, you're going to think that it's this generation. And that's what's going to come to your mind. If they just would. And I want you to stop there. And I want you to just go, God, forgive me for being an unbelieving generation. Forgive me for looking at them in the natural. Forgive me for not racing to be the first to reach the hearts of this next generation. God, give me the heart. Give me the, give me the pat. Lord, I'm asking you. I, I choose to see them. I choose today to see this next generation, to see young people, teenagers and young adults the way you see them. I want to see their potential. I want to see their vision. I want to see their passion. Lord, they are looking for identity. And so I will do everything that I can. I will do everything within my power to bring them to you. And then God, I'm going to trust that, only, that you will do what only you can do. So, Lord, we decide, we choose today to bring them to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.